You're listening to Top Traders Unplugged, episode number 007, with Martin Estlander, founder and CEO of Estlander & Partners. This episode is sponsored by Saxo Bank and Swiss Financial Services. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome to another episode of Top Traders Unplugged. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I really do appreciate it. On today's show, I'm talking to Martin Eslander, the founder and CEO of Eslander & Partners. As the oldest CTA firm in Scandinavia, Martin has seen a lot of changes in the past two decades, but has continued to innovate and expand his product offering to investors and staying true to his origins and his values has also won him international praise for his efforts. For those of you who are new to the show, I just want to let you know that you can find all of the show notes, including a full transcript of today's episode on the toptradersunplugged.com website. Now let's get started with part one of my conversation. I hope you will enjoy it. Martin, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. There are a couple of things that stood out to me as I was preparing for our conversation today. I noticed that you started Estlander and Partners in the same year that I began to work in the CTA industry, namely in 1991. So apart from disclosing that we both have a few gray hairs by now, it also <laughs> makes you affirm one of the oldest Scandinavian, if not the oldest Scandinavian CTA, and certainly also one of the longest running CTA firms in the world. But of course, the other really interesting thing about what you have demonstrated during more than 20 years of successfully building and managing your firm is the fact that you've done it away from the busy streets of Mayfair or Midtown Manhattan, in your case, in Vasa in Finland, where we know that the pulse is a little bit different from the usual financial hubs. Yes, yeah, that's right. So, uh, so perhaps a good starting point for today's conversation would be for you to take us all the way back to the beginning. Tell us your story of how you got involved in the business in the first place and take us through the evolution of Estland and Partners to where you are today. All right. Well, I'll do my best. Uh, as you noted, it's a long story, so there's many years to cover, but I'll try to make it short, though. Fantastic. And, uh, well, it's, uh, we, my, my good friend Carl Renlund and myself, we started trading back in the 80s, in, in like 86, started trading equities, and, and then we were just about to graduate from university, and and uh, we figured we, it was very f inspiring and uh, Gave a, gave a lot of energy and we found it really, really interesting and decided to go one step further. So we set up a, a firm to trade options as uh, market makers in, in Stockholm. Okay. And um, we did so. And uh, 
it was a bit tough in the beginning because we didn't know anything about the options but but we learned some of it and then uh, then we had uh, the crash of 87 which obviously was a fantastic trading environment sure and uh, that led then to a couple of institutions the Finnish and the Swedish coming in and buying up the firm and together with them as partners with them we, we then expanded the options market making business to to Finland and then to Norway, to Germany and uh, Switzerland. So that was a lot of fun and you know it was great to be in a in the evolution of the derivatives market in in, in Europe at the time. <clears throat> Myself I had a degree in, in computer sciences and economics uh, from the university and I felt somehow that I wanted to try to use my my programming skills so I started developing decision support systems and that's how I got into sort of CTAs and started looking at some of the traders and type of systems that they were building and started experimenting myself and that led them to, to the start of the trading in 1991 and uh, at the time we were working in Frankfurt so uh, it was a sort of a German enterprise for the first few years mm-hmm. and um, we ran the two businesses in parallel for for a number of years, and and uh, eventually we then decided to focus more on the CTA business, and we actually exited the the options business in in two thousand two. But they were sort of two integral parts uh, throughout the history, and the whole options trading and uh, market making sort of history has has dominated our DNA as traders in quite a, uh, to quite an extent. So we tend to see everything in terms of optionality and volatility. And I think we measure also um, trends and, and opportunities in the market slightly differently than many other CTAs. Interesting. But the, a little bit more about the history. I, I, I think when we started in 91, we got our first institutional clients in 92 and in 93, um, signed up with the Commodities Corporation, and basically, um, we were we were part of, of 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 the team at Commodities Corp until 1998, when Goldman Sachs came in and bought the firm. Sure, and, um, that was a very exciting and inspiring time as well. I got to know a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting traders, and a lot of inspiration, and had a lot of fun and. It was great being in, a little bit in the States as well and, and uh, you know, seeing the, the U.S. part of the business. But at the time, it was very unusual to be a European CTA. And I think sort of people felt it was diversification to invest with a European CTA, although we basically <laughs> trade it the same way as the American ones. Yes. But, uh, you know, it's still, still uh, obviously, the U.S. was very dominant in the business at the time, which, as we know, have... Have then shifted a little bit back to Europe, or more, more and more to Europe, actually. Sure. But going back to the uh, evolution, Jan Haraldson, a good friend of mine from sitting at the same desk, trading options in the eighties. He he traded um, the Alpha Trend program that we run today as well, more as a proprietary trading approach, and we didn't and didn't have any clients um, for quite a number of years and then sort of joined uh, Estlander Partners and we set up the first fund for external investments in 2008 
And uh, so Jan is, is, came sort of on board fully, uh, quite late actually, but, but uh, he's, a, he's an important piece of the firm. Sure, sure. And it must have been, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the Commodities Corp um, side of things, because of course people who know about the CTA industry also know that a lot of the uh, really great traders who, some of them are still around, certainly also had a stint of their early career with uh, Commodities Corp. So uh, so that that's yeah. obviously a fascinating part because it's not something you would normally associate with with uh, a European, let alone maybe a Finnish uh, company that uh, that your roots actually go back uh, to that time as well. Yeah, no, that's right. No, that's right. There are a lot of, I guess, Paul Tudor Jones, Lewis Bacon, and a lot of other guys that are still around. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well no well known names for sure yeah. so um and and the whole trading side you 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 mentioned that that you started trading equities and so on and so forth and was this something you knew all along when you were studying and maybe finishing your sort of uh, i don't know late high schools or early university that that the trading the financial world was where you wanted to take your own career No, not really. Actually, it's just just like uh, living in the moment, I guess, and you know, <laughs> found it very, very exciting. And I, I guess it was like many things in life, a coincidence. Yeah. It was a bull market, and you know, it was. So I guess you felt that wow, we were actually quite good at this because we made some money and we could finance our studies. And it was only later that we realized that the reason we made money was it was a roaring bull market. <laughs> <laughs> like like so many at the time. But uh, yeah, no, excellent. And obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the business, the programs. But but I wanted to ask you sort of uh, first off uh, uh, in a little bit different direction. You know, uh, no no doubt that trading, running Eslan Partners takes a lot of your time, but What do you do to relax? What do you do when you need to take a time away from the business and the trading? Oh, <laughs> that was a bit of a surprising question. So I could talk for I could easily talk an hour about that. <laughs> no, I, I I guess it's uh, you know it, it's good to mix different things and and be able to relax and and obviously the family is very important and uh, sure. spend some time with that. Um, but I. You know, I like to do a lot of sports, mm-hmm. and so that takes up quite a bit of time. Now the sailing season has just started, so we're we're racing a bit now and preparing for for two world championships later on in in uh, this summer. Okay. So we're, I'm skipper of of the a team which is actually representing Finland as the national team of Finland in in these two 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 championships, sir. For You know, during May, early June, sailing is a big piece of, of, of my spare time. Sure. And then a bit in August. And then during the winter, it's more like skiing and playing tennis, I guess. And then I, you know, for relaxation, I also, uh, I meditate daily. And, you know, I find a lot of a lot of inspiration and a lot of energy from from really relaxing and, you know, quieting down the mind and, It's an extremely interesting sort of field of of um, 
I guess not science, but but you know, at least it it interests me a lot. And there's many parallels between trading and uh, the way the mind works. And I think the way we are designed as human beings with our emotions and our reactions, our instincts, uh, etc., is what actually drives the markets uh, in a way which makes it possible for systematic strategies to make money. Sure. And, um, that also affects our how we live in, in our daily lives and the same way that you can impose discipline upon your trading, you can also impose a certain amount of discipline as to how you deal with your own stress and emotions and and uh, how you how you view things and how you try to avoid to overreact uh, to a certain short-term events and and Absolutely. you know drawdowns and stressful business running etc so you know that's uh, me a little bit you know I spend a lot of time thinking about these matters the philosophy behind what's driving the markets and Australian or human mind. Fascinating, Martin. And uh, I actually have heard that from a number of people that really combine, you know, their stressful working life with something very different and 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 looking much more inside themselves um, to uh, to get a to get away, uh, so to speak, from from uh, from the more uh, uh, yeah business oriented uh, part of their life, but. Um, very good. Uh, Martin, perhaps you could give me a little bit of an overview of the programs you uh, run today. And um, sort of you mentioned one of them officially to the outside world opening in 2008. But maybe just give us a brief overview of what the business looked like today. Yeah, sure. Well, we have um, three main programs of which AlphaTrend is our sort of largest asset wise. AlphaTrend is a, a very pure trend-based strategy. So it's it's really a trend-following strategy that's been running in along the same lines of philosophy since the start in 1991. Okay. And obviously developing over the years, been refined and, and, and sort of improved, but but the profile is really to be a pure trend-following strategy, and uh, not mixing in a lot of other other things into into that. And whereas our Freedom Fund, which is um, um, more of a multi-strategy fund, includes Alpha Trend, but that also includes other things such as short-term trading, uh, systematic macro, uh, carry trading. Um, and uh, that makes it sort of a, a more broad strategy. So global markets is a variation of of um, these uh, with a 50-50 division between systematic macro and and quantitative trade trend trading, whereas freedom is more like 75% uh, quantitative trend-based trading and 25% systematic macro. Okay. And then we launched um, a fund called Presto uh, fairly recently, which is sort of short term, up to three days holding period and uh, trading, trading also a global approach, um, most of the or all the four asset classes. And so these are basically the offerings that we have today. And it seems like 
Mm, some investors prefer the more diverse sort of multi-strategy approach. We do have products along that uh, strategy line more offered here in, in, in Northern Europe sure. through distribution channels, through banks, the, to some pension funds, whereas the alpha trend, the pure trend one seems to be more appealing to investors that have other managers as well and sort of more are more seasoned CTA investors in the sense that they have many CTAs and they sort of find that alpha trend is quite different from some of the other CDAs and hence provide good diversification in the CDA portfolio. Sure, sure. Excellent. Um, the next area I wanted just to touch upon briefly is sort of just how you decided and how you've done over the years in terms of organizing your business. Nowadays, clearly, technology has provided a number of uh, options that... Um, you didn't have when you first started out. But if you look at the various sort of key areas within your business, um, how have you organized that? What 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 have you kept in-house, so to speak? Uh, and what do you outsource today uh, in, in running your business, if anything? <laughs> well, we do, we do outsource auditing the accounts. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of software, I, I guess the... Bloomberg terminal is, is sort of external software, but other than that, everything is more or less an integral sort of platform that we've designed uh, over the years. I think it's a third generation of fully integral uh, platform that, that we run today. So everything from data collection, data, data cleaning, storing, and uh, running the models um, through sort of communicating with the, with the markets, with the brokers, um, reconciling the trades, you know, several times a day automatically, and then calculating um, NAVs for the funds. Sure. We do that in parallel to the administrators. Sure. Report to clients and you know reconcile everything that is done. But basically, it's um, the idea is that it's all a very integral process, and we need to keep very good track of. Of, all, of the operational risks, all the aspects of of the business in terms of how we, where we get the data, what type of data, where we have backups for the data, how we clean the data, how we have business contingency plans, and how we have a couple of offices so that we can run the business from to the other location should sure. it be needed. And uh, you know, I think technology is extremely helpful and um, makes it much more efficient. But it's also, you know, not just opportunities, it's also challenges, of course, yeah. with, uh, with the further, uh, with, the, with the increased speed of the markets, it's put new new demands on execution, but also provided, obviously, opportunities. And sure. So I think the, the way the business is executed in the market is something that has, developed and changed quite a bit over the last few years and, uh, but it's you know it's all for for the good and it's it's uh, I, I guess in the long run that's uh, to the benefit of all party market participants it's sure. getting cheaper to execute and sure faster yeah before we um, go in and talk about sort of the 
the program itself and and talk about models and and how you go about that. I wanted to start out by having kind of a a bird's eye view uh, looking at the track record. And what I mean by that is um, track records nowadays um, probably have to be read uh, with a little bit of background information, meaning that firms that have been around for uh, two, three decades, their trading has probably, or their model has probably evolved over time. So what you see when you look at a track record may not exactly reflect how the program is configured today. So when you look at your own programs and you look at their track record, would you say that they should be read in in, in stages, meaning periods where you've had some significant upgrades, research discoveries, uh, or has it been more of a, a smooth evolution uh, that hasn't really taken the programs away from its origin? Yeah, well, I, I, would, I would certainly say that it's more of a smooth process and it's been sort of a stepwise refinement. And But I think reading the track record, the most important thing you would see from the track is the result of a process of research and and running the business in a certain way and points to a certain sort of expectation regarding future stability of of the firm and and and, uh, and the research process so i think it's that, that is what i would say is the most important part to read out of a, any track record really and um, when it comes to how the program has changed. I think, well, certainly it's been improved and, you know, we've improved how, how trades are filtered out, how to avoid unnecessary trading, you know, taking on new markets, new ways of executing the trades and new ways of selecting trades and, and um, so on, entering, exiting. But the general theme of what we're trying to extract from the market, that's really been very much the same over the years. So I would I would sort of really focus on that and you know I if not or or reading the track record, you know, the stability is one and then the second would be to sort of compare the track to the different economic cycles and the different sort of market environments and see how it's been performing in in different environments and sort of draw conclusions for the future based on that i guess that's what i would how i would read the track sure makes makes sense and speaking about different environments um i don't think it's a big secret that the environment for cta since 2009 has been um different in many cases uh, difficult how do you view the environment um, and how do you view the alpha trends performance in the context of the different environment that it's been in has it performed as you would have expected uh, also during the difficult time well uh, <laughs> it has it, it certainly has not performed as i expected in 2009 but when we when we look at the environment and uh, the actual drivers of the returns uh, throughout the different cycles 
one of the big conclusions that we've drawn is is the fact that the volatility environment is so important in, in describing the returns and the return opportunities. And in fact, uh, a trend-following strategy is, is a very sort of long gamma strategy. It's long volatility. And uh, in particular, if we look at volatility on a slightly longer horizon, say a three-month horizon, and we look at the development of, of the volatility as an index across all the asset classes and all the instruments that we trade. What we can see is that there's a very high correlation between how that volatility, the three-month global volatility changes and the performance of the program. So we're actually very, very long this volatility and, and exposed to the change in volatility. And looking at the environment going back like 50 years or so, one can see that this obviously varies. Volatility is a mean reverting figure, and uh, which has its peaks and it has its downs. And it had a large peak in 74 during the energy crisis. And it had a huge peak in 2008 after post-Lehman, the financial crisis. And um, what we've seen now since 2008 is the steepest fall in this volatility level that we've seen in sort of 50 years. And um, if we're highly correlated with the change in this volatility, sort of we're long this change in this volatility and it's more or less been falling like, as I mentioned, I've seen the biggest fall in 50 years. It, it, it sort of describes why it's been so difficult. And I think from that perspective, it's not all that surprising, but I can't claim that I had this insight in 2009 and maybe we would have done something differently, I don't know. But, but the truth of the matter is that now we're, We've come down to levels which we haven't seen in the world since Bretton Woods, in terms of of low volatility. And uh, you know, it's a it's a fantastic opportunity from that perspective. I mean, CTAs want they want they want this volatility to be flat. That's fine for making money, and uh, preferably increasing. And you know, once this volatility is now so extremely low, for obvious reasons. I mean, that's the policy that governments and central banks has, have imposed since 2009 have been extremely successful in pushing down this volatility, but it's hard to see that it could go much further down, could stabilize here maybe, and, and maybe go up, I don't know. When, when, you, when you talk about volatility in that sense, are you looking across all sectors, including commodities, or are you focusing more on the financial sectors of of a CTA portfolio? Now, in particular, uh, looking across all the all the assets, all the asset classes and all the individual instruments for that matter. So it really is, the, the measure is really designed to really reflect the CTA portfolio. Mm. So. Now, we're going to talk about the, uh, the Alpha Trend uh, program and um, and just just staying with the, this theme a little bit longer in terms of the sectors and in terms of the putting the performance into some kind of context, in particular in the last few years, um, it would seem to me at least that the people who have 
done well, because certainly some people have done well in the last few years, yes. uh, have been overweight certain sectors, maybe in particular bonds and, and equities. And, and despite, as you say, volatility coming down, that doesn't mean that these strategies can't make money because clearly if you were long-term and you were long uh, equities, you would have made, you know, you would have done very well. So how does that, um, so, so to, is that to imply that when we look at the Alpha Trend program, that that is more of a fully diversified program uh, and, and not overweighting any one particular area? Yeah, well, we're, we're certainly sort of, aiming when designing the portfolio to find the broadest possible diversification and uh, looking at the different asset classes we know that equities obviously have an intercorrelation which is fairly high mm. so all the four main main asset classes equities would be the least diversified sure also the bond market uh, markets have a certain intercorrelation as to effects and the most diverse uh, one is the commodity segment with energies, softs, meats, metals, precious metals, and the different energies. So it's certainly offers the best diversification and hence it's also shown up in, in our portfolio as the biggest of the four sectors. Sure. Now, needless to say, equities obviously have been, or, or sorry, commodities have been the most difficult over the last few years. Sure. With the, and looking at the volatility development the one that i referred to before yeah it, the, the steepest fall has actually been in commodities and it's the most extreme development in that segment yeah. over these few years but in in the long run you know we strongly believe in that and it provides great diversification and we're not so much into timing and not trying to time the portfolio back and forth we're just trying to keep an as robust smooth ex and, and balanced exposure to all sectors as we can we, we think uh, you know our research clearly shows that over time it will pay off but certainly this has been a challenging period now yeah well tell me a little bit about in your own words about the, the structure of the program and and why you've designed it in this way uh, talk a little bit about you know uh, the number of markets you trade and the number of models that is uh, involved in um, in the Alpha Trend program, well, we trade <clears throat> we trade uh, seventy four different single instruments, and then we also trade combinations of instruments, which provides good diversification. Some actually something we we did we we have uh, <clears throat> introduced to the portfolio since the financial crisis because of the increase in correlation uh, across markets. Fortunately, this is now coming down, and which is also. Together with the with the very low volatility level now, um, the falling correlation obviously is a very positive sign. Uh, looking forward, so all in all, we trade about 100 different <clears throat> underlyings, uh, including these combinations. And the the approach is very selective. So not in the market um, all the time. We're in the market maybe three to four times a year per instrument and with a average holding period which is clearly shorter than CTAs in general, an average 30 days. Okay. So we're in the market less than 50% of the time. So a very selective approach and uh, 
going in with higher conviction when we go in and um, using a combination of statistic, statistical methods and pattern recognition methodologies to identify the opportunities when when we trade and when we don't. And can you um, just 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 to to describe to 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 the listeners who may not be sort of fully as as versed with these things as 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 maybe you and I are, but I mean, uh, can you try and visualize what you mean by by pattern recognition and 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 how this might be different from maybe the traditional moving average crossover or price breakout? Um, yeah, well, well I. You know, pattern recognition can mean a lot of things, but but um, it can. But we certainly apply it in both in the quite long term, sort of the identify what type of market structure is present. So, is it a market that is currently in a larger trend upwards, or maybe it's a larger trend downwards, or sideways, or whatever, and <clears throat> maybe it's a market that's already reached a very extended state or or maybe is in a very consolidating state and depending on what sort of <clears throat> state the market is and what sort of structure the big picture have you then apply more short-term patterns to identify what how the more short-term uh, sort of price action goes together with the bigger picture i mean they both match um, both the big picture, for instance, speaks for uh, good opportunities on the long side for a trade, and the shorter pattern also suggests that investors are lining up for uh, for <coughs> more support for a long trade. And if you then see the price take off from that pattern, then then we would enter. And uh, the idea is just to, I guess, to try to identify how investors view uh, the, the market and how they are likely to react to future price changes. So and it's all about trying to assess the opportunities and, and uh, sort of probabilities for a trade going forward. Sure. And are you looking for some kind of momentum breakout in the direction that your overall filter is suggesting the trend is? Is that what you're looking for in, in the shorter term? Well, actually, we're, we're, we're trying to, to identify the opportunities without relying on the momentum. Because okay. when you, when you, with the, well, we do also use momentum. If we can't find a pattern and there's a very strong momentum, we will also use that. But in the ideal situation, we can enter before the momentum confirms the trade. Okay. So, so we try to get into trades a lot earlier than most participants do so in the ideal situation we, we we really enter like a very short-term trader we go in with a very short-term pattern and try to get in very early into trades and is this a, a, a sort of an end of day kind of approach meaning that you only need to run the model once a day in order to identify these opportunities or does it actually look for even price action intraday well, um, both actually. For the big picture, we're under the big, the big picture is sort of analyzed on a on a daily basis, so it's run sort of once a day after the market closes. Sure. And uh, then intraday, we sort of read the uh, the action for more short term sort of 
information and uh, we actually react or, or try to react in intraday when when opportunities arise and filter the trades on a on a minute by minute basis okay okay and 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 if you do get a a signal to to take on a new position um does that then get scaled in or, or do you actually say no you know we have a signal let's take our full risk on um, at this point in time uh, well again execution is extremely important so you have to or, or what we try to do is sort of read the market action in the on a minute by minute or hour by hour basis and, and then we try to get in based on what the opportunity set is in the short term but but i guess sort of your question is perhaps more geared towards the sort of daily uh, facing in and facing out and I, I would i would certainly say that we when when the opportunity is is there we try to we try to get in fairly quickly maybe over a day or over a couple of days so and then then hang on to the position so more sort of binary sort of high conviction based going in building up the position quickly rather than sort of gradually facing into position and how many i don't know whether this is the right definition but how many models would you say you run in each market uh, or uh, yeah if if that's the right way to to describe it well we we really consider it sort of being one model i mean okay. one same model across all all instruments in all environments and then we try to integrate all the different considerations into this one approach so it's building up conviction in for each market and giving it some kind of score uh, uh, to say you know we should now be 50% long or we should be 75% long is that how it works or is it we're either long or we're neutral or we're short <laughs> well we, we do scale it so okay um, obviously also scale it with uh, with volatility so the, the market volatility plays in if volatility is lower we take on bigger positions if volatility is higher the positions are smaller but we also scale it with the risk management and the, the overall risk in the portfolio and uh, i think that's that's sort of an important piece of of the model as well and basically aiming at trying to get into when when the, when the world starts sort of moving and market starts moving then we try to get in into the action as quickly as possible and and uh, with uh, the earlier positions and, and the, those that have been taken on earlier they are getting typically more priority and more uh, risk and are in that sense bigger than those that come on very late when the book is already maybe quite exposed and we have a fair amount of risk in the book so the and and this the positions get then down prioritized and get smaller exposure so so the risk budget is not really individually um by 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 market opportunity the the risk budget takes into account what you may have already on in other markets in the same sector or in other markets generally speaking yeah it, it certainly looks at the, at the book as a whole and um, and yes uh, balance is based on how much risk is on okay and we, we all view it from the risk perspective and 
when looking at things from a risk perspective, we we don't believe in too much um, too much in diversification, unfortunately. And when when the really difficult situation occurs, then correlations can quickly go to one. Yeah. So there's very little diversification benefits to be assumed, and uh, hence there's little point we believe in in sort of splitting up it risk per sectors it's in the worst case scenario everything is just one big position with highly correlated sure. components so that's the risk we need to focus on and do you then when you uh, enter a new market do you does, does the model allow you uh, a stop loss every day so to speak or is it actually a change in the signal or this, the conviction of the signal that tends to reduce the uh, position size and may even take the position out as a whole? Well, it's certainly uh, both, I would say. There's, there's sort of a continuous analysis and, and, and a, a, a dynamical change of where, where we expect to get out of positions. But whenever we take on something, we always have a stop in. So there's always a stop loss in in each of the markets where we have where we have risk on, mm. and uh, that stop then also changes continuously as the market moves. And uh, when it changes, if the market move is fast in the direction of the position, then the both the exit level and the stop level will sort of change with the move more quickly and if the move is slower then they will move slower sure sure and um do you use any kinds of stop profit so to speak or is it like in the classical sense of uh, of uh, trend following that actually uh you know you need to let the uh the positions run for as long as possible, and only if you get a big uh, move against you against the trend you're in, you uh, you start lightening up or or getting out entirely. Well, that's certainly the, the dominating way of getting out of positions. Sure. However, if there is a very strong move in the direction of the trade, then we there is a mechanism for taking some profits. Okay. At those extremes as well. Sure. So that will certainly That's be one. Seller. Yeah, seller occurring. Yeah, yeah. What would you say, looking at the model? What What do you feel is sort of the key performance drivers of 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 uh, of the program as a whole in terms of you know it's maybe it's difference or it's uniqueness. You mentioned that compared to maybe some of the other classical. Uh, trend following programs out there is there anything that you think of as being uh, in particular important creating this difference when you look at how you've designed the program whether it be whether it be the way you size your positions whether it be your time horizon or your entry yeah well certainly the program was not designed to be a different it's, it's sure. it was really designed just to reflect the trading style that we represent and then that you know, turned out to be a little bit different. Maybe maybe it's different that for, you know, you mentioned us being up in Finland away from London or New York, and maybe maybe we think a bit differently being off, off the main bus industry, I don't know, but but uh, 
we, we do it just the way we we're comfortable with and that turns out to be a little bit different and and i i guess the the, the points that i would highlight is is the the way we balance risk as we described before or discussed before sure so so looking at the overall risk and, and sort of if uh, prioritizing certain early positions then the mechanism of trying to get into positions early so we're that that certainly um, brings some other differences and looking at the track record when the when the market have seen sort of inflection points that's typically where the difference has been the the biggest when it goes from so if you look at in 2009 when early spring 2009 when the market had come down like uh, all risk assets had come down very dramatically and then when it changed around it took us only like two weeks to be or less than that maybe one week to be on the long side and we sort of catch the the move up much quicker than most sort of slower traders and so in those inflection points it's really it plays out to be sort of more reactive and faster to get in sure and 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 the general theme that you mentioned getting in early getting in before maybe the momentum the volatility starts to expand does that allow you actually in some ways to put on a bigger position um than 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 maybe other managers at that stage because you you you're doing it at a time where volatility is is low in that market well that that could very well be the case um and um i think also just the fact that we're out of the market most of the time and we don't we only trade in high conviction situations that alone will lead pure mathematically to larger positions when we do get in just to reach the same volatility level so yeah we certainly get in with more size relative to others when when we go in sure in terms of the actual trade implementation how um how does that how does that work um just from a purely practical point of view um you get your your signal during the day uh, does that then automatically feeds into some kind of execution um model or or, or part of the program or or how do you yeah. actually do your your implementation yeah well when the, when the model says that okay now we want now we need to get long gold that information will then be passed on to the execution algorithm which is sort of a separate algorithm mm-hmm. separate system which will then have one trading session to get into the position and will then sort of analyze the short term action to optimize for the best possible price to get in so that leaves its own little life during the that particular trading session to try to optimize for for getting in and again it's a it's a separate module it's a separate sort of straight through processing um trading trading uh, module that that uh, you know tries to tries to optimize the price and tries to be fast and watches all the stops and all the levels and all the information that that may trigger us to either be faster or more reactive or or 
hold back a little bit. So in fact, there's no real human intervention, even in the execution side, as everything has been pretty much uh, automated. Yeah. In, yeah, No, that's right. There's, there's always somebody over, overseeing everything. Of course. And, um, approving the trades before they go into the execution model and then overseeing it, but is not calling any shots during the day, really. <laughs> now... Uh, Another topic I wanted to uh, touch upon is is risk management. And I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about how you define risk. You know, what does risk really mean to you? Um, and and then how you go about dealing with it and, 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 and managing the risk in terms of whatever target you have. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think I think um, you know uh, the risk management approach that we run is sort of divided into. That's all for this episode of Top Traders Unplugged. We'd love for you to be a part of our community, so head over to toptradersunplugged.com and let us know what you thought of this episode in the comments section of the show notes. Take action, get involved, and suggest who you would like to see as a future guest on the show or how you think we can improve. Constructive comments will be rewarded with 30 days of free access to our premium member area. So head over there now, and we'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.